0: Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot BacksideGroundBalls. Powered by Riverside. Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back on here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers and I'm joined by my co-host Dan Galati as well as our producer Phoebe. Dan and Phoebe, how are we doing today?
1: Doing great, man. Excited for the pod. Uh, End of another great weekend and uh, start of another really good baseball week. Yeah. Phoebe, how are you? Good,
0: good. Well I'm I'm happy to be joined by the both of you. I really missed each of you on Thursday night it was. Um, obviously, as Dan likes to say, um, life happens and, and you know, sometimes you gotta go home for for a golf event mixed in with a newborn nephew, niece, whatever it is. So Dan, how's the Definitely. travels? How how's the road been to you? It's been traffic been good. I know the Baltimore Washington traffic is never fun.
1: Yeah, no. Luckily, we got in uh, late enough Wednesday night where we didn't really uh, deal with traffic, and things have been good, man. It's been a while since we've been here. Uh, It's been almost a year, I think, since we've been in Maryland, so happy to be here. Head up the road to uh, Delaware tomorrow to get back there, so we're just knocking it out in one one 10-day, 11-day stretch here and then uh, head back home yeah you really
0: learn how to maximize your time on the road, don't you as you uh, as you move away from home and you want to hit everybody you don't want to leave any parents out you don't want to leave any you know siblings, anybody out quite frankly so you really got to learn to maximize your route and, and make sure you hit all your all your bases per se.
1: Well, and you just have to be like adjustable. And I thank yeah. you both for willing to being willing to do that with me as well. Obviously, it wasn't here on Thursday, and like I feel like typically, like you guys could have been like, "Dude, you're playing in a golf outing. Like, come on, we got to record. Like, it's not anything serious." But it was a family, it was a, a family event. So um, I was really happy I was able to participate. Um, I'm happy that I had some decent golfers on my scramble in my scramble group because I did not help, and then. Um, But yeah, you got to be adjustable. Like we're working, you know, you're working from home, you know, working from a new place on Friday, working from a new place tomorrow. And then I got to go back and be in an office um, Tuesday through Friday of this week coming up for the first time since February, I guess, was the last time I was home in an office. And that's like brutal. Uh, The good news is, is I wasn't going to have a car. So like when we set out this plan, I wasn't going to have a car. I was going to get transported back to Delaware. I was going to leave my leave my wife, the car in Maryland. So I was like, I'm going to go from working remote to working in an office for the first time in however many months. And I'm not going to have any say on when I go or leave because I'm going to be relying on coworkers. I was like, this is going to be a miserable week. Um, but luckily, we secured another car. So I'm going to have my own vehicle, which um, really made me more excited to go home because I was kind of – because. I have to be back in Delaware and I'm I'm sharing my life story tonight. So if anyone's tuned in, you're going to get it. (laughs) I have to be back in Delaware in the beginning of June. So for this trip, I wasn't even going to go. And then, but then word got out with the boss man that I was going to be, you know, within two hours of of the office. And so my arm was twisted and I was like, all right, I'll give you Tuesday through Friday in the office. I got a, a big work project waiting for me. That takes me about a week to get done that I thought I was off the hook for since I wasn't in person anymore. And, That's what I got to look forward to. So I'm really excited for this pod because this is, you know, top of the list of of things I got going on this uh, upcoming week. When are you heading up to Delaware? You leaving tomorrow night? Tomorrow after, um, yeah, tomorrow sometime. So me and you got to talk off air about, uh, some scheduling for sure. For sure. I'm thinking the same thing. This all just kind of came together. So we haven't gotten there yet, but yes, I, I'm thinking, I know what you're thinking. I, I was thinking the same thing. We're going to try and work it out, um, to the best of our abilities. Uh, yeah. But that doesn't need to be talked about on there.
0: Definitely. We, we can't get ahead of ourselves anyway, because the last no. time we've tried to do that, we, we ended really up, jinxed. you know, caught in a, caught in a predicament as they say. So, um, yeah. but somebody who's not, in a predicament and hasn't seen a predicament in a long time. is Christopher Morrell.
1: Hold on. And Christopher Morrell transition. Is... You're getting good at this. That is a dynamite segue right there. That was, I didn't, I did not, I didn't even see it coming. It was so good. That was awesome.
0: Well, let me put it this way. I thought I had one laid the foundation when I said <laughs> round, touching all the bases and I was uh, going to parlay it into eight <laughs> home runs in 12 games for Christopher Morel, but then you went on a I went on Diet drive
1: <laughs> about, about my personal <laughs> life, things no one cares about. Everyone tunes <laughs> in to hear where, where I'm working from this week. I'm sure.
0: Exactly. They always say listeners, uh, tune in or choose to stay or, uh, choose to leave within the first five minutes of your episode. <laughs> well, and they, I hope they really like you. <laughs>
1: Click (laughs) listens are going to be down. Downloads down this week. I apologize. Uh, Uh, So Christopher
0: Morrell obviously has been on fire for the Chicago Cubs this year. And it's coming off a 2022 season where he showed a little bit of potential as an unheralded prospect. Triple slash line 235-308-433. Showed some power. Showed some speed. Dynamic athlete. Can play across the field. Looked like a guy who was going to stick in the big leagues. I don't know what changed. Actually, I do know what changed. I'm going to tease the the breakdown that's going to drop on Twitter in, in conjunction with this episode that I just finished. There are some mechanical adjustments that we can talk about. But last year he had 16 home runs in 113 games. Really just seemed like a poor man's Javi Baez. Whatever's changed this year in the box has allowed him to just light the league on fire. It started in spring training. The last two weeks of spring, spring training, he hit four, all four of his spring training homers at that point, transitions into Iowa where it's cold. It's not exactly a hitter's paradise, lights the world on fire, 11 home runs, 29 games, and then he gets the call up to the bigs and it gets even better eight home runs through 12 games. He's now sitting at 19 home runs in 41 games to start the 2023 season. And Dan, he was just in Philadelphia, just filleting balls to right field with legit juice. What did you see from Christopher Morrell that makes you super excited?
1: Well, I think one of the most striking things to see in this 12 game stretch so far is to your point, like this isn't, you know, we, we, every year guys, you know, flash for two weeks, and when you see them flash they're just catching balls and they go on a heater and you know all these guys in that are in the league and on big league rosters have the potential to go on a heater at any point so guys who can obviously sustain it but it's rare to see guys go on 12 game heaters where they're one hitting the ball to the opposite power with the, the juice that he has i mean he went upper tank in Minnesota to the opposite field like that doesn't happen very often like you you turn on that game people like me and you cubs twins in minnesota see joey gallo go up there and you stay for christopher christopher Morell going oppo up there and then he's filleting balls like you said he's miss hitting balls out in citizens bank park to right field that shows you like you want to talk about why you asked me why am i excited that excites me because that means that that has staying power when guys start to do that miss hit balls for home runs that means they've made the necessary adjustments to really be you know big-time, legit, middle-of-the-order bats and, you know, impact bats. And, you know, that's what every team's searching for. <laughs> the Cubs went out there and they threw money at Dancy Swanson and they threw money at Cody Bellinger to be those impact bats. And they have a Christopher Morell in AAA who seems like the one, to me, that's like the most legit candidate to do it at this point. And we're through 12 games. So, you know, we maybe we need to break a little bit on that. But to me, it's just impressive to see him do that. And, and I think one of the biggest – Things for me with him is is if you can hit the ball hard, right? Like that's what we look for, right? You and I specifically, we look for guys who hit the ball hard. Whether it's Yandy Diaz, whatever. If guys are hitting the ball hard, that that excites us because your room for success, like your ceiling and your floor, grow when you can consistently hit the ball hard, and that's what he's done.
0: Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not even taking stock to the fact that it's 12 games. I think this is legit. Do I think he's going to go hit 40 home runs? No, there's going to be ups and downs. He's a, he's a mover in the box. He moves a lot. There's a lot of things going on. He looks a lot like Javier Baez did when he was in a Cubs uniform, taking absolute just hacks and trying to clobber baseballs. The reason why I'm in is A, because obviously we saw the sample size in AAA, which it's not the big leagues, but to hit for that power means the power itself is legit. We're seeing max exit velocities that are in the 113-114 range for a guy that stands at 5'11 and probably 180 pounds. So he's not a big dude, but he's producing exit velocities to the ilk of, you know, not necessarily Giancarlo Stanton Aaron judge, but that next tier down of those guys that can actually just impact the baseball at a different level. The other thing is, is the adjustments that he's made last year. When you break down the video of his home runs and a lot of his success, he's definitely a poolside guy, but his front shoulder was out and his hip was going. And he hit one ball off of Aaron Nola that I highlighted in the breakdown video that I did that Aaron Nola just runs a two seamer right into his barrel. If Aaron Nola locates it on the outer third, he's swinging through it. If it's a slider, he's swinging through it. It was a one plane swing. This year, his direction is more towards right center field, his upper half and his lower half, and he's staying through the hitting zone so much better. That ball he hit upper Decker in Minnesota, he doesn't hit out last year because he only has one thing he can do with that baseball, and it's either hit it off the end cap and for a flare base knock or roll it over to the poolside into the ground. We've heard Matt Mervis talk about this. This is something that the Chicago Cubs have made an effort to do is make sure that guys are having direction the right way. Matt Mervis on our podcast talked about him fixing his direction to be able to pull the baseball in the air consistently. So if anybody wants to go back and listen to Matt talk about that, it was a couple months back, but definitely should check that out because he's now hitting in the big leagues and he's starting to turn it around. And you can see that there was a conscious effort and that ties into the fact that his Ground ball rate is down from 51% to 38.5, and his fly ball rate is up from. to 50%. Obviously that is definitely a small sample size. So you can't guarantee that that's going to stick. But when you talk about having the proper direction to the right center field, a lot of those ground balls, he was probably hitting to the pool side because he was quote unquote, losing his posture, quote unquote, losing his direction to the opposite field. Now our backspawn home runs to the pool side, and he's giving himself margin for error to go big pump right center field.
1: Yeah. And you look at kind of what he's doing and and just to kind of surmise what you're saying, because I mean, and check out the breakdown after the, the episode, but like he's doing damage on all pitches. And last year, right to your point, he was kind of selling out and to get any power, he kind of had to cheat stuff. And like you said, Aaron Nola runs a two seamer back into his barrel and and that's what he was going to get. That's where he was going to get the big flies. And, and when he got the pitch, that the one pitch in the location where he could do damage, he was. This year, I mean, he's hammering kind of everything. Like, he's taking advantage of sliders a lot. He's slugging 2,800 on, on sliders. Like, will that continue? Not at that rate, but will he continue to do damage on sliders? Because that's the big thing, right? He's swinging and missing a little bit at fastballs, which, again, can be a concern depending on, on you know, what you're kind of expecting out of him. Um, but a 7.31 expected slug, like when you see that, like to me, that number and and the damage he's doing, like that tells you that there's staying power, and this is a legit guy who's going to be an everyday big leaguer for them, and he can go on these insane runs. Um, can he then, you know, develop into being able to work the zone and 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 bump the OBP a little bit by taking his walks? Because I really do think that's like being able to see pitches and take walks is such a parachute because. Getting base hits in major league baseball and, and like you're gonna go through those cold spells, but the things that keep those guys at the top level afloat is is what I, you know, really think of as as the parachute of being able to work walks and you know, have a high IBP margin for C error. pitches. Right. Yeah. And like, if you're going up there and that's why Javi Baez guys like that, who are such free swingers, the lows feel so cavernous It's because mm-hmm. he's not taking walks. He's not working counts. He's when he's bad, he's out in two pitches and it just feels like, you know, every at bat is almost wasted. Um, and it, it can go on for forever. So if, if Morel can start to you know work counts a little more and and take walks, this is a guy who's going to be a problem. Does this kind of remind you a little bit? And, and this might not be a, a great comparison, but this kind of almost feels like the ascension of Randy Orozarena, does it not?
0: A little bit, yeah. Kind of out of nowhere, and, and kind of just shows Smaller the tool. stature, guy. athletic. Yeah. Yep, yeah. very athletic. I will say the chase rates up from last year, but last year he sat at a fifty six percent percentile chase rate over 113 games so he is kind of Javi Baez without the chase but a little less toolsy I don't but even then I don't Javi was better defensively he was better with the arm he was better on the bases like all that stuff in the box yeah, yeah in the box he's very similar to Javi Baez's ability to produce exit velocities there's a lot of whiff again we're talking about Christopher Morrell, the utility player for the Chicago yeah. Cubs, not Christopher Morrell, the MVP candidate, right? So right. let's put that out there. Let's understand what we're expecting from Christopher Morrell. But if he can stay in the 50th percentile chase rate and be an aggressive free swinger in the zone and just take his strikeouts for that but not expand as much as you, you'd think a hobby would – I mean, there's no reason that he can't produce the thump. And the next step would be to flatten out his swing a little bit off a shoulder height. It does dump a little bit. It comes down, but that's which is why he's mashing sliders and why he's whiffing on fastballs. I would guarantee it you know, I didn't do a breakdown on his whiffs. I did a breakdown on his dig me tape. So it was all homers. Um, right. so maybe we'll do the next step and do the, the swing and miss, but barrel definitely comes a little bit off plane there, has to work back up. You know, you throw timing off and there's definitely some, some concerns there for swing and miss. So if he flattens out and does continues to show the strength that he does you're talking about a guy who I wouldn't be shocked was hitting 260 with 30 home runs because he's that athletic and he's that talented. It's just those big question marks that we have to get past.
1: Yeah. And and I think even if he can, if he can just lower the, and I don't know if it's see more pitches or what it is. Cause again, he's a free swinger and asking those guys to see more pitches is not easy. I'm, I mean, let's be honest, someone along the line has asked Javier Baez to see more pitches and those guys, like, you, you almost take away and you lose yes. some of that. You know, what What makes them so good by asking them to do that? Yeah. You know, I don't want to see Christopher Morel up there. What does he bring if he starts taking pitches? How much, you know, because it's such a timing thing, especially hitting with power, especially when you're of that stature, like, if you can't catch the ball out in front, right? there's that great video of Dante Bichette talking about it. And like, if you can't catch the ball out front, you, you lose the damage and, you know, So if you ask them to be more patient or is he then going to be later and then not be able to kind of party out in front and and hit the long ball. But like you said, we're not asking for MVP candidate Christopher Murrell, but we're talking about a guy who could be an everyday big leaguer in this Cubs lineup, which is just another piece for them moving forward, which is kind of where they're at and what they're looking for, right?
0: Yeah. And ultimately right now he's sitting at a, yes, his expected stats are a little below his actual production, um, but 298 expected batting average is ridiculous ridiculous. it's not sustainable but 731 expected slug so even those balls that might not fall in for hits later he's still showing the ability to slug and the ability to get himself in scoring position or or go big fly off of any arm at any given time so super exciting guy he has a super exciting tool set Um, there's no denying that And, and I'm really excited to see if he can continue to be you know a dynamic talent for for the chicago cubs so dan i'll ask you this we're going to talk about the san diego padres but do you know who is familiar with the san diego padres who's that our friends over at SeatGeek, geek because you see how many people pack uh, out go. that park on a monday night
1: for sure for sure <laughs>
0: So for all of those Padres fans out there that are looking to get out there, watch their team. They've spent a ton of money. They're committed to winning, and we're going to talk about some of the questions we have with them. But if you're a Padres fan and you're looking to get out to a game and you want to get $20 off your first purchase, head over to SeatGeek.com and use promo code Ball. Again, backside ground ball, and you can get $20 off your first purchase. I know a lot of people out there have been hitting me up asking for the promo code, so I wanted to get that in the middle of the episode. Uh, make sure you head over to our friends at SeatGeek and use the promo code backside ground ball. So, Dan, when we think about the San Diego Padres and what they've been, right? We had this conversation how excited we were when Tatis was coming back. I really don't want to have this conversation again because there's so many other positives that we could be talking about across baseball. Yankees are playing better. Aaron Judge is back, and he's dynamic as ever, and he's just continuing to rake. The Texas Rangers have won 11 of 15, and our favorite baseball player is back, and he already has two home runs and six knocks in two days. And there's so many things I want to talk about. But you can't look across the scoreboard and not recognize what the San Diego Padres have not done. Quite frankly, they go out and they catch a win today by just gifted a bad start by Corey Kluber. Loads the bases in the first. Rugnetto door clears them. He boosts a, a PFP in the second inning when Corona Mars hit like just gifts it to him. But they still lose the series. They go out. They lose the game against Chris Sale. Chris Sale looks sharp but they continue to struggle. And it just seems like, for lack of a better term, a band of misfit toys.
1: Yeah, I I don't know what the answer is. And and honestly, if you you, you go to the East Coast and, and a team that obviously I root for in the Phillies, it kind of feels a lot like the same thing, right? The Phillies are only, you know, a game and a half better than the Padres right now. And it's almost like it's frustrating, And I know it's frustrating for the fans, both teams who are selling out almost all of their home games because of the expectations that were set last year by deep playoff runs and by what they did in the offseason. And I think there's some some times in Major League Baseball where your team goes all in or a team goes all in like the Padres and everyone expects them to just race out of the gates from a start. and I think there's just some gelling that needs to happen. I really don't know what the answer is because I look at, you know, the Phillies you can point to injuries and, and you know, Harper wasn't there at the start of the year. They lose Reese Hoskins, Schwaber never hits well. Um, Trey Turner's struggles are a little bit interesting. And so you kind of point to some things there. San Diego, it's weird. Tatis comes back. Everyone else has been healthy the entire time. I think the concerns with the, with the pitching staff that you and I both had, kind of are are showing to be real, because at the end of the day, you know, it's hard to play offense in, in baseball and to score runs when you're constantly chasing, right? When you constantly are feeling like you've got to put up crooked numbers in order to win games, it makes it really hard to be an offensive player in baseball, especially when you're facing major league caliber pitchers at all times. I definitely think there's been some tough luck, though, and that's the other thing. It's like, when do we press the panic button? Cause we're getting to that first measuring stick in a week, right? Memorial day is always the first measuring stick in major league baseball where, you know, front offices assess where they're at and kind of the direction of the season is. Well, the Padres are sitting in fourth place and they're five games under 500. Like that's frustrating. I know that's frustrating for AJ Preller who sold the farm for Juan Soto. He's, paid a ton of money for Xander Bogart. he's paid a ton of money for Manny Machado, they restructure his deal, he's expecting them to win. They re up Darvish, and it's like none of these guys are saving them. So kind of, what do they do? And honestly, I'm at a point where it's like, I don't know, you kind of just have to wait and see, because there's nothing you can do. There's no more adjustments to make. There's not a bat that's coming to save them. There's not really an arm that's coming to save them. You just gotta hope that somewhere in that clubhouse they figure it out, and I don't know if if there's something psychologically about, okay, we are we are expected to be one of the best teams in baseball. Clearly the front office has gone all in. We have to win if that kind of puts more of a burden on the clubhouse. But I also wonder, and this may take us in a different direction because I'm kind of curious before you talk about the Padres, what you think about this. This is something I've started to think about for the last two weeks or so. Have we undersold what the pitch clock was going to do to the parity of baseball? Because it certainly feels like A, pitching injuries are way up It's through the roof, right? Is that because of it's just one of those things? Is that because of the clock and guys not used to it? Also, rallies and momentum in baseball and crooked number innings have seemed like they're also at an all-time high. I don't have any number. I haven't seen any numbers yet to back this, but my theory right now is because of crooked numbers, it's kind of leveled the playing field here with the pitch clock. If guys can't kind of slow down and get control of an inning, it unwinds really quick. And starting pitchers, you'll see it. Like, guys are getting knocked out in the first, second, third inning way more than we've seen before because things have snowballed. Is that something we're dealing with, where there's not going to be a bunch of 100-win teams? You know, outside of the Rays, and, and, like, there's no one that's really running away with any of their divisions, right? Even the Braves who have had all the opportunity in the world to do so still aren't running away with this thing. So I don't know. It's interesting, but I I don't really know where to go.
0: I think there's a combination of things that creates parity. I think the increased desire to steal and run the bases more aggressively probably has as much to do it as the pitch clock itself. Obviously injuries, who has a tendency to be hurt more? High octane, high variable arms that throw higher more good teams have more of those arms than bad teams do. Um, So you definitely see that aspect of it, of where the injuries that we have, like Tampa Bay has lost two or three starters already to some injuries. Obviously they want guys to develop into these high octane ace potential arms. So those are the things that you have to take into consideration is that the, sometimes the better the arm is sadly, the more likely they are at times to get hurt because they do throw harder. They put a little bit more torque on that. But I think when we talk about the Pirates, the thing that's undersold is the fact that they do run. They are that scrappy group, right? And they can impact the game in different ways. And there's a market inefficiency for guys with speed itself, right? Because we spent this so many years talking about how speed doesn't matter, contact doesn't matter, all that stuff. Just get on base. Now you have guys that can get on base and run and impact the game. So it makes that start for, you know, Blake Snell, who is already rushed by the pitch clock, forgets there's a guy on first. Jack Sawinski, you just walked him. All right, you're going. 0-0 Oh, breaking ball boom you look up he's standing on second base with no throw because you didn't control the run game or you went at seven seconds every time and the first base coach is going hey he's going on seven every time go he hasn't thrown over once in this inning go like whatever it is it, it creates a more offensive environment that doesn't necessarily correlate to skill itself right so that is definitely something to to think about in terms of being able to shrink the margin between the top team and the bottom team i ultimately think it still comes down to talent i think it still comes down to the ability to build you know the most talented team that you know can make the most impact in a game um but definitely when you talk about the parity in the game i think that the new rules in in different ways um definitely could be that's a, that's an interesting theory and the more i talk through it the more i could see it happening
1: just because i think like when you look at the past couple of years and you look at the teams who have won these divisions, it feels like every single division in baseball, except for maybe the two centrals for whatever reason. But, you know, you look at AL West, NL West, AL East, um, NL East, it feels like almost there's a team that runs away and, and they're 100 plus game winners. And then you have two teams in every division that's at the bottom that are, are just terrible and they're 40 games out of first place. It almost feels like and again, we're only at the first check mark of this checkpoint of the season, but it really only feels like there's two teams who are that bad. Right? It's yeah. the Royals and the A's. Whereas everyone else, like, sure, do we think the Reds are gonna turn around and win that division? But they're only eight games under five hundred, so it's not let like me, they're embarrassing. The Nationals the same thing.
0: Let me get in, in on this then and and give you my theory that's even bigger. Are we at a point where player development information is so widespread that there's no, like, remember how it used to be the top and then everybody else was searching to what the top was doing. We all have a basic understanding of what the top does. Individualized development, vertical approach angles, like all of this stuff, pitching your best stuff, split fingers, cutters, like... The Reds have just as much information. I mean, Kyle Bodie was with them for years, so it's not like they're analytically handcuffed. And what's the common theme between the two organizations that you mentioned are bad? They stink at player development. They stink
1: at that. Yeah. They no. stink
0: at, at, at maximizing the potential of their players. So when you look at these teams that are in last place or, or, you know, below 500 and these teams that are scuffling, it's like we've talked about the Tigers. They have potential. You have the whole AL West that invested in winning outside of the Oakland A's, the Nationals. A lot of people, like I think, include myself included, they're going to be better quicker than we think. I don't know if they're going to win a World Series again anytime soon, but they're going to be decent here soon. And then you look at the whole AL Central, all of those teams are pretty savvy when it comes to, you know, player development and things like that. And obviously the West, you know, the Rockies still have a guy named Chris Bryant, who's a pretty good ball player as well. And you know, that's a hitter friendly park. So, you know, at least you can kind of hang your hat on that. Like when you look across the league player development wise, the margins are shrunk and there's no, there's no market inefficiency right now that any team is completely taking advantage of.
1: That's an interesting that, I mean, that's a really interesting point because actually like going I hadn't thought about it that way because to me when I think of player development what would that do well that would make more you know more teams have you know above average guys we would move the median of guys in the league right if we're if we're doing a better job of of player development then um you know the Reds and all these teams that you know we're expecting to be bad are going to have more standout guys and Just from the first thought that I was thinking there of the pitch clock and the new rules being the the reason is like I still look at the Reds roster and I see a a dearth of talent. There isn't a lot there. But the more you talk through that, the more I kind of agree where it's like there isn't that competitive advantage that it felt like the Astros and Dodgers and Braves and Yankees and Rays have had for – you know, six, seven years now where you looked up and, and even the Red Sox had points there, especially when Quarter first got over there, where it felt like they all knew something the rest of the league did. And the rest of the league was just chasing and chasing and chasing, and they couldn't figure it out. And even that's why some of the small market teams who maybe weren't setting the world on fire, but why Cleveland was always in the running, they were at least in the playoffs and why Milwaukee's been good for the last seven years, um, even though they haven't had the star set of names. Yeah, that, that everyone has that information. You and I can sit here and talk about some of the player development things, um, you know, just, and we're not in it. So, yeah, I think that right now we're just getting this perfect storm. And, you know, to me, it, it's exciting. I think this is a good thing. I think this is great for baseball. I think that puts Major League Baseball in, in, a, in a wonderful spot. If you can keep all these fan bases interesting and you can have teams. Look, I know I rail on the Pirates and they are four and 15 over their last 19 after getting out to that good start, but they're not laying down. And I think that's what you want to see, right? Too many teams in the past seven years were just laying down and they were doormats all year. And it was like, you know, oh, well, you got Oakland coming to town, which I guess that's a bad example because it still feels that way. But you had Pittsburgh coming to town. It's like, okay, good, uh-huh. stack stack your wins and get the ball rolling with some momentum yep. because they're just going to lay down. They're running out AAA-level players. They didn't have a way to keep up with you. But now it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way, right, even with Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati's giving the Yankees a hard time this weekend.
0: Yeah. And they ended up getting swept, but every game was close and managers were getting ejected. Like it was, that was intense. That was good baseball. And you have guys like, you know, Jake Fraley that might not start on a playoff contender, but are able to bring value and hit a base clearing double and impact the game in different ways. And that's because that's a credit to the Cincinnati Reds player development. And as much as it is a credit to The the level of talent across the league because I just think AAA guys are better now. Like every level is better. The it has shrunk and because teams are able to the good teams, every team except for those two that we mentioned seemingly are able to take guys and say you do this well. Let's light a fire under it and let's boil it out. Right, let's get that out of you any way possible. Right, compared to those other organizations that seem to have guys throw 98 three years ago and now throw 93 or whatever it is. And they can't figure out what, what happened to him? What happened to him now? Now it seems like there's 28 teams across the league that can at least find good things in players and, bring it out of them as best as possible. And that's where it brings me to my largest concerns about the San Diego Padres is why are they so talented? Jay Cronenworth's a talented player. He's underperforming. Trent Grisham's a talented player. He's underperforming. You have Blake Snell, the epitome of talent that can't perform. He's pitching to a 5.40. I don't care about record, but when you're pitching to a 1-6 record on a playoff caliber team, that's bad. That is not good. I know you don't control how many runs are scored, but you, if you're a loser in six games for a team as talented as the Padres, that's almost a quarter of your team's losses. 1.56 whip on the year, and the peripherals don't look good. So what are the Padres doing itself that makes you worry and maybe a little bit more concerned about you can have all the talent in the world, and it's not even about the Rays. It's about the Pirates, right? That the Pirates can maximize their talent, and they don't have a fraction of the guys with the name of Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, or any of the guys in that lineup.
1: Yeah, and that's what's kind of frustrating, again, because it's one of those things like, well, you're out of moves. Like You've pushed the chips to the middle of the table. It's the same thing with the Mets. It's the same thing with the Phillies, and now the Mets, since we railed on them, have gone on a, on a run here and they, they seemingly can't lose. So I'm sure the Padres are next. Um, That's good. So maybe, so maybe tomorrow, Trev, will talk about the Phillies like this. Um, Get the, get the boys going, but I won't give you the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) Um, But you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like when you're out of moves, where do you go from here? And I think that's what can be frustrating as a fan too. If you're a San Diego Padres fan, like you have to be pulling your hair out because, and you want to start blaming guys. And that's when things can get frustrating because every little thing, is now going to be magnified, right? Every little thing will be magnified. If you take one playoff, if you don't hustle out of the box once, if you well, make a, a, a let me give you an mistake, example like, of something that was magnified.
0: Up. Go ahead. Losing in the bottom of the ninth, and right. Ron Soto, Fernando Tatis, and Manny Machado are smiling, and it right. gets caught on camera, right. Right. blown out <laughs> <Right>. of proportion.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, which I even joked at you about posting it on our socials to uh, get clicks, but like, I, Exactly. Like people are going to start saying that. And then, you know, does that get back to the players? Does that get in the clubhouse? And how do you deal with that? You know, that's the other part of it. And again, I, I'm not in the big league clubhouse. I've never been in a big league clubhouse. I never will be. So I don't know how much expectations and looking around the room and saying, you know, if I'm sitting there and, and I'm, I'm Manny Machado and I'm struggling and I go, well, I'm looking over at Alexander Bogarts and, and Juan Soto. It doesn't matter if I'm struggling right now. Like, does that help? Does that hurt? You don't bring the intensity because you think the next guy's got you and you don't have to play hero ball. Typically, I would think that just stinking within yourself is the way to go about things because when you guys try and play hero ball, you know, things tend to go wrong. So I don't know. And that's what's, I think, so frustrating is, is you know, where do you go if you're the Padres? Who do you turn to? There isn't a prospect you can call to ignite a fire. You know, there there isn't a, really a trade that to be made. There isn't someone that's coming off the wondering. I.L. Yeah. Like, you have to sit there in that room and look at each other and just go, okay, here's the good news. We're big leaguers. We are all. We have a ton of all-star caliber guys. Like, we have to pull up our bootstraps now and just get out there and put it on the line every day. And, you know, I think that's kind of what you saw in Philly last year is it took Joe Girardi getting fired. That's always a desperation move that the Padres can pull to. Bob Melvin is regarded as a great manager. Girardi's really respected in a lot of circles around the league, but the Phillies made that move. And I think more so than anything, Rob Thompson did different than Joe Girardi, it was just a cold bucket of water for the guys in that locker room going, We just got our skipper fired because we're supposed to be a playoff team and we're eight games under 500. You know, like. That's the only move that the Padres have left. I would hate to see Bob Melvin get fired. I think Bob Melvin's a really good manager. But if you're talking about where do they go, what do they do? I don't know what other options you would have other than that to try and spark something. Hopefully the guys in that locker room can just, you know, figure it out. And and it always seems like in Major League Baseball, these things do tend to snowball where it's like, okay, the offense finally comes alive, you got a terrible start. You get a great start, the offense gets stifled. And then you make a key. you know, both are kind of fine in a night. You make a couple huge defensive miscues and it costs you games. And that's just kind of how it seems to go. It's unrelenting. And that's one of the fun things to me and why I love Major League Baseball. Is it's every night. You don't get to hide. You don't get a week off. You don't get a bye week. It doesn't come. No one's coming to save you. You better. You're going to go out there tomorrow night and you're going to have to play again.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what's the most concerning thing for me as well is the lineup has just been, it hasn't meshed, right? We've talked about this, like I've experienced this in the college game the last two years that I was coaching for is how contagious hitting is right yeah. i always just call it the good guy 300 right the senior who's done everything right who really isn't that talented who just comes out and you blink and in mid may he's hitting 315 and you go like how did that happen he snuck 25 knocks through i don't know right and that's how contagious good offenses can be when you're around a good offense you know right? They pass the bat. It doesn't matter. You have guys that are superstars. You have guys carrying the freight. You have guys pinch hitting knock every time those hits fall. What's weird about this, and I don't know if it's, I I, I hate to use the word selfish. I don't know what it is, right? Like are guy's not taking team level at bats. Are guy's taking me at bats, right? Whatever it is, because whatever's going on, it's not contagious there. Xander Bogart starts the year out hot. Juan Soto starts the year out slow. Fernando Tatis comes back, and Soto turns it around, and they've both been great since in the month of May, and now Machado's on the IL, and he wasn't very good since, and Xander Bogarts continues to trend down. Trent Grisham has a great spring training. Looks like he's going to turn it around from his down year last year. Jake Cronenworth was showing some power at the beginning of the year. Both of them have gone to crap. The platoon of Matt Carpenter and Nelson Cruz that I really like the value and potential of has not been very fruitful. So then you're talking about like that lineup that we all talk about as being great right now to me doesn't look that good, right? I look across that and with the question marks, I don't think it's that good, even though I think Juan Soto is going to be an MVP finalist and Fernando Tatis can be up there. And I think those guys are going to continue to be great. I just don't think that I don't love the lineup and you're right. You don't have another move. That's no. the problem with signing so many guys to free agent right. contracts is where do you go from here?
1: You oh, can't sell no open positions guys, and they sold yeah. the farm for Soto. So it's like what, what trade deadline. And again, me and you have mentioned this before and we'll get there as we get closer to the deadline. Like AJ prowler would let me and you run around in their farm system. If that meant they could move a couple guys they have now for a big league talent, you know, yeah. like they, they, I don't think they care that organization cares because they want to win a world series so bad. But like, mm-hmm. What do you, with the talent they have left in that farm system, what are you actually going to get back? Is it going to be game changing? No. You set up this year, and the way they set up this roster is the moves you were going to make at the deadline were going to be minimal to just, you know, improve the edges of the roster to get you over the hump and allow you to compete in October. And then you could turn it over to your stars. They made the hater trade, they made the Soto trade. They're out of options.
0: The most realistic option is Lucas Giolito, and that becomes more of the same.
1: Congrats. And flipping a coin you, you, with that
0: too. Exactly. And that's my point. You, you're flipping a coin every time Blake Snell comes out of the mound. You could get ace level Blake Snell, second half of last year, Blake Snell, who could have won a Cy Young and did win a Cy Young back in the day when he was with the Rays, or you're getting 5.4, can't throw a strike, Blake Snell. Joe Musgrove's the same thing. He's been great since he's come over to San Diego, but he's still a flip of the coin. Lucas Giolito, you never know what you're going to get, and it's just more of the same. They need consistency worse than bad, and thankfully, you Darvish is posting every fifth day for him, and I know Which we didn't incredible. love that contract, but it's just maybe consistency is worth its price in gold right? when you have these high-octane, high-variance arms that they roll out outside of him.
1: Yeah. That's why, that's why I think middle, middle rotation arms on the free agent marker get paid so much is because those guys are, if nothing else, they're consistent. You know what you're going to get out of them. Even if it's just eating innings to a four, two ERA, you take that if you know, it's going to happen every 30 starts, 33 starts. So I I just, it's fascinating. And it's something that, I mean, look, they're not alone in this. Again, the Phillies are going through the same thing. The Mets are going through the same thing. I mean, there's, there's teams all over the league who have a ton of expectations and have a ton of talent on the roster, and it just isn't. It doesn't look right. Something about it isn't looking right. And, you know, no, I think it, it because look of right. some of it's the rule concerning. changes, maybe it's going to take a little bit longer every mm-hmm. year. Also, maybe this is the thing. It's going to take a little longer every year for the teams who do have the most talent. You know, maybe it's not by Memorial Day like we expect for teams to separate themselves. Maybe it's by the All-Star break. You know, maybe we need to start giving teams another month and maybe because it's the first year this year only, we need to give teams till the all star break to say, okay, they're going to pull ahead because, you know, you look at it and it's like, can this lineup really be this kind of eh, in middle of the road for the whole year? Would you roll like those five names, four names alone, however many stars they have, when you look at Tatis, Soto, Machado and Bogarts, that's four, four guys that are all all-star level potential MVP level candidates, they can't just be middle of the road all year, right? Like it, it can't happen.
0: No, you took – like I think their biggest free agent or their biggest trade deadline addition could be back of the baseball card for most of these guys, yeah. Seriously. right? Like just regression to the mean, regression to what you are, and, and that's – which would actually be the opposite progression to what you are. Right. We've seen it with Soto. I mean, it literally turned overnight for Soto and you blinked. He was hitting, remember when he was right. hitting what? Yeah. 185, 195, He's hit 250 now. And you're like, that's, Oh, when did that really happen? Up, right? yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, that's, that's how it's going to unfold. And that's how it's going to be for the rest of the season. And so going into our fun segment of MLB dictator here, but first, I want to talk about routine baseball. Dan, I hit you with this text over the weekend. Uh, we Cheers. now have a new, yeah, new partnership with routine baseball. Uh, a lot of clothing options specifically catered to baseball players. Anything from shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and really any baseball style you could imagine. Head over to routine.com routine.com slash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have and receive ten percent off your order today. I got a, a order in for some for a sick pair of shorts, Dan, and I'm I'm super fired up to get them. So I know our listeners would be will be super excited to get them as well.
1: Yeah, me too. I can't wait. I'm 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 shopping spree coming soon. Yeah. I,
0: I heard uh, yeah, for sure. you're getting uh, some gas mileage reimbursement for all the travel. You're oh, doing without for. a doubt.
1: But I, as soon as we, we announced the partnership, my wife is already – she was shopping. She's ready to go.
0: That's what we like to hear. That's what we like to hear. So everybody's favorite segment is back. It's MLB Dictator. So for anybody who's just listening for the first time, we've been doing these segments. They're clipped out on YouTube. So if you want to go back and watch them, a lot of fun. So basically, Dan and I get to put on our our power-filled hats and be the dictator of the MLB. We're basically Rob Manfred, but with all creative control. So whatever we say, it happens. So today, we are going to force trade a player onto another team. So, Dan, if you were the dictator of the MLB and you could pick and choose where you could put any player on any team, who would it be and where are they being traded to? All
1: right, look, I, when I this is tough because there's so many options you can go with. There's obviously two really obvious ones, and I think you're going to cover one of them. But for me, I wanted to take a look at this and say, what does a team need now? What does a team need now to really excite me? And right now, the Texas Rangers are 12 games over five they They're holding off the Astros. The Astros are getting healthier. Altuve came back. Framber throws a complete game shutty today. The Rangers went out and spent a ton of money on Jacob DeGrom. DeGrom's had forearm issues. He's left several starts early. The rest of those guys, they have a good rotation, not a great rotation, especially without DeGrom. What if you could take the reigning National League Cy Young winner and Sandy Alcantara and all of the innings that he will throw and slide him into that rotation in Texas while DeGrom's out. He is your ace. He's your workhorse. He's going to throw a ton of innings. He's going to compete. He's going to pitch in the low twos for you. And then if you do ever get DeGrom healthy, you now have one of the nastiest one-two combinations in baseball. I'm going to take Alcantara. I know the Marlins are in second. The Mets and the Phillies are too good probably to let that continue. So I'm going to take Alcantara. I'm going to put him. He's one of my favorite pitchers. I'm going to send him down to Texas where it's nice and hot for him. We know he likes to pitch in the warm weather. I'm going to let him throw there, and I think that that might just be enough for them to hold off the Astros.
0: So let me ask you this as a follow-up that I know you're not prepared for. What do you giving to it. the Marlins to move Sandy Alcantara to a new team? We'll say that again? What are you giving to the Marlins to move Sandy Alcantara to the Rangers? I, I,
1: I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna package up some prospects for them. I didn't think about return when I went about this. Um, I'm probably gonna pass that memo down the ranks of the dictator's office. But I'm gonna Fair. give the Marlins a power bat. I know that the Marlins are gonna be really upset with me. I'm gonna give them a guy who hits the ball far. Someone in the the Rangers system, I'm going to find whoever hits the ball really far. I don't care if he swings and misses a lot. i actually prefer it just to give the Marlins a taste of some new medicine. Um, But give the Marlins a power bat in return from the Rangers farm system. I know it's not something that they have. And if I even want to go big league, I mean, the Rangers have a a handful of guys who you would. Maybe I give the Marlins Mitch Garver, see if he can, you know, Stay healthy for once, and and be a better catcher than the options that the Marlins currently have as their backstop, in Stallings and Fortes.
0: Fair enough, and I can tell that it would be the dictator making that trade because the Marlins would never trade for a hitter with any sense of power. Exactly, um, which is
1: why you, which is why I would do it that way. Because, like, all right, guys, enough with the 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 base hits and second baseman. Here's a guy who can hit the ball hard and far. Yep.
0: No, that's awesome. So for my trade, you kind of teased it. You gave it away a little bit. And it kind of hit the news, maybe a little Reddit thread here and there over the weekend. Shohei Otani is packing his bag. He's getting an extension on the way over to, and he's heading to Baltimore. Camden Yards. We saw him this week hit an absolute moonshot on the Utah Street. You know he's going to pitch at a high level. He's going to provide some thump. The Orioles need superstar talent on both the offensive side and the pitching side worse than bad. It's the only thing that's missing from this group of really talented really good young players. You throw a superstar in the middle on top of Cedric Mullins, on top of Gunnar Henderson, on top of Adley Rutschman, on top of Jorge mateo ryan mountcastle all of those guys and shohei otani just happens to be able to pitch too and you put that guy in the middle of baltimore's orio order for the next 10 years and you put him at the top of the rotation for the next 10 years and you could see a world series coming to baltimore very very quickly because that team that organization is doing a great job with putting guys in a position to be successful jackson holiday is on the way he is going to be a stud talent I'm, i'm falling in love he's my next uh prospect just absolute love affection that i have for and for the angels again the angels of course are getting the the raw end of this deal but i'm the dictator so i get to pick You're getting DL Hall, who's a guy who has some reliever risk, but the stuff is really good. You're going to take Jordan Westberg, and you're also going to get a replacement in the outfield. I'm going to give you Kyle Stowers, a guy who has some juice, some big league talent, everything like that. It's not fair, but Baltimore deserves Shohei Otani.
1: I don't like my dictator being fair. That's a decent no, package. Not. I mean, it's not Shohei Otani, but... No,
0: it's not Shohei Otani with the Knicks. But
1: still, like, they're getting D.L. Hall. No, I want to see D.L. Hall in a rotation with Otani and Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. That I would mean, Otani, cool. but look, I, people need to buy into the Orioles. I love that team. That team is awesome. Camden Yards has been outstanding. I want to go this summer and sit in the birdbath. Um... It looks like a blast. The fam- the people are loving it. And that team, they're just, Brandon Hyde is awesome. And what they've done and built there in such a short time, it feels like, like, get on the Orioles bandwagon, man. The team is, yeah. is team's awesome.
0: They are. No, they're really good. And again, we mentioned this. We were kind of down on them in our previews. I don't think we expected this team no. to show up. Um,
1: again, a year—it feels like they're a year early. Like I thought, next yeah, year this is what we'd be looking
0: at. One hundred percent, I agree. And I'm going to say it again. I know I've said it before. Teams that find relief pitchers that turn yep. into superstars are doing something different, player development wise. And that's how you know the value of a good organization that's putting their guys in position to be successful. Felix Batista wasn't it just a coincidence? Yiner Cano is not a coincidence. These guys are going to be doing this. This organization is going to be doing this. And offensively, what they've done in the minor leagues offensively is next level. They develop hitters better than anybody. They identify talent. They identify skill sets that can translate. Jackson Holiday is going to be the top prospect in baseball. And he's going to be in the big leagues very, very, very soon. Not like this year soon, but like before you'd think for a guy that wasn't even drafted a year ago. Right. It's
1: crazy. I mean, he's unbelievable. And he's going to, and you said he's going to be the next can't miss prospect. Like he's going to yeah. be Wander Franco levels, the way he's swinging the bat. I mean, the dude, what do you have? Six hits the other night? The, the, the game you did the breakdown on, I think he had six hits that night. And, and yeah, you, you want to talk about relievers and people since they traded him at the deadline, no one even remembers. Like, how about what they did with Jorge Lopez? And like, and you know who they got back for Jorge stuck. Lopez? Who was in that deal? Yannick Cano, Cano. Cano. Right, Yannick Cano was in that deal. That's right. I knew that. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. They're doing everything right. I mean, Sigmate all, man. Sigmate all did a great job in Houston and and Yeah, Michael Elias and and, too. And him and Elias, right. I was going to say him and Elias what they did there and what they're doing now. I mean, it's great. And I Look. Go O's. Yeah, get the pitching side figured out. Um, Grayson's
0: got to make some, Which is always some last, adjustments,
1: right? Yeah. You typically you typically feel like the starting pitching because just starting pitching is so hard. It's so hard, and to they get don't. It right. I mean, we talk about this all the time, even with prospects. Like there isn't a can't miss pitching prospect anymore. I mean, it, the injuries, the variance with those guys. Yeah. It's so hard to know. So that, I feel like that is a little bit behind always.
0: We're we can't get into this right now, but I've had a I've had a we're probably going to have to present it to some of our good friends that have a lot better connections than I do. Um, But you can kind of digest the Orioles recent drafts. And I think what you're starting to realize is good organizations think there's value in the third through fifth round to develop ACE level starters. You see it with the guardians recently and the Orioles are intentionally taking a lot of position guys early to hopefully hit on being able to either maximize a college arm with okay stuff and build them up into be, you know, a Tanner Bybee or a, you know, all those guys that seem to come out of nowhere with the Rays and Guardians. Or you take a young arm similar to Carter Baumler, who's with the Orioles, who is a fifth round pick, where he has a ton of stuff, high ceiling, and you hope you can mold that guy into a, a strike thrower and build him into an ace. So that's why I think it's a little bit further behind is because they're not exhausting first round picks on pitching talent. And that's intentional. 100% I wouldn't intentional. Even,
1: I wouldn't even say that because I just think that there's so much, like, I think we're now hitting the wave of, of pitching being so far out, you know, for a while pitching was so far out in front of hitting and like, you know, there's a facility in every town in America now that these kids are getting into at 16, where they're coming out and they're throwing harder and harder, and the stuff is just getting better and better. And it's less so that hey, we're not taking first. There's first round talents in the third and fifth round. I just think so much more so of the variance of which guys are going to hit and not because of injuries and stuff like that. I, I, I mean, you just don't know, right? Like who saw Bryce Miller being Bryce Miller? But the stuff's there because you can find it in any round, and and. You know, those guys can come, you know, Mason Miller's another one. Like, so it's just, it. you don't really know. And you can, you if if you have a guy on, if you're looking at, at your draft board and you're looking at a guy who's a first round arm, even a Paul Skeens, and you're looking at a guy who you know is a slam dunk hitter, whether that's Max Clark in this year's draft, whether it's Wyatt Langford, whether it's, it's um, Dylan Cruz, like, to me, it's like, go ahead and take, the the offensive player the position player and then wait till the you know wait a couple rounds and go get your arm because yeah Skeens is probably you know right now it looks like Skeens is going to be a really good big league pitcher but i bet you you can find a Skeens level pitcher in the third through fifth round and who knows if Skeens is going to be healthy
0: yeah and the ability to maximize those guys like ret louder is an interesting one we don't need yeah. to get into to the the um draft here we're going to have plenty of draft episodes over the next couple of months, once the college season ends specifically. Rhett Lauder is interesting to me because his stuff is very good in college. Right. But when you look at two seam slider guys specifically, you know, he has the plus change up, which really throws in a wrinkle. Sinker slider guys come out of anywhere. 20th round guys, 15th round guys. And so – how much does that change your value? Which people talk about, would you rather have Dole Lander or Rhett Lauder? I'd rather have Rhett Lauder if I'm trying to pitch my way to Omaha. Right. But I'd rather have Dole Lander because that fastball shape has proven but, to, and to then, get outs at the big league level a lot.
1: And where I sit right now is where am I drafting each guy? If they're, I'm having like to take if I have to take them both in the first seven round. Seven to fifteen.
0: Seven to fifteen.
1: I'd rather and, and I guess my point here is like I'd rather have position player X.
0: Yes, but if you had to pick between the two,
1: yeah, probably Go right now. And I mean, and that's
0: pretty- that's like the return on investment that we're talking about, right? With the Orioles, everything. That's what people don't understand. Everybody thinks the Orioles are smart drafters. No, they're treating it like they're an investment bank, right? So when they take yeah. Carter Baumler in the fifth round, that's a return on investment more than taking a high school right-handed pitcher in the first round right there's it's all calculated risk right so if you're taking a high floor quote unquote back of the rotation arm in the first round that's a bad investment
1: bad investment you want
0: the high ceiling because if you're taking a high floor back of the rotation arm you can get that from the 5th to the 10th round and as long as you develop them
1: you get it and I and again, like the variance with with arms right now, you might be able to get the front end of the rotation guy in the in the in the fifth through the fifteenth round right now. Like, just you know, guy spends a summer with Cressy down in Florida, and all of a sudden, you know, he is your front of the rotation arm.
0: Yes, so that that's a fun conversation. Like I said, we're gonna have to ask our good friends out there that have a lot more connections with the with the higher ups, and and maybe get them on the podcast to talk about returns on investments and draft strategy and and not just simply evaluating the the talent itself but dan obviously you got a lot going on this week do you have any closing thoughts for us before we let our listeners go on this fine what they'll probably be listening to it on a monday
1: no uh have a good week enjoy the week of baseball it was good to get back with you guys
0: yeah well super fun having you we always enjoy welcoming you in and and you know whenever you're available you let us know when you want to come around <laughs> i'll make sure to do that appreciate it well thank you to all our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today make sure you're sub- subscribing to all to the podcast on all podcast platforms including apple podcast spotify and anywhere you find your podcast We post episodes on most weeks, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We kind of fell back on that last week. We didn't have an episode drop on Friday, but they're always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. Most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you guys on the next BacksideGroundBalls podcast episode.